All right, good morning, everybody. It's Monday. Kind of feels like fall here on October 11th, 2021. So glad you're joining us. Sorry for the technical difficulties on Friday. Was traveling and broadcasting was 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 not possible. You know, here we are. If you just stumbled onto this time for the first time, or first time in a long time, we take 10 or 15 minutes Monday through Friday to unpack a portion of scripture. And right now we're doing something called Romans Rewind. We're tracking with our Sunday morning sermon preaching series to the book of Romans by highlighting themes or verses or ideas or truths, looking at them in a little more detail or a little more nuanced way, things we don't have time for on Sunday morning. And we are going to be in Romans 3 to or Christianity or spirituality then Romans 3 is probably um, some sort of a cultural shock because it is Paul's effort to describe to us who we really are in the flesh, who we really are apart from Christ, who we really are by nature. And let me read the, um, the passage for us again. And I wanna talk about a couple of things we really didn't get into on Sunday on this text. Paul says, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And obviously to 21st century ears, that sounds like a stinging indictment. It sounds almost like uh, uh, some sort of judgment, and in any ways it is. It's a, it's a declaration by Paul about who we are really in the flesh before God. Now, there's a couple things to, to note about this, and let me try to get at the heart or the intention of what Paul is doing here. First of all, Paul is not saying that mankind is completely depraved. Okay, what does that mean? Completely depraved means we are as bad as we possibly could be, that God has left us unfettered to, to just pursue the passions of our flesh, the hardness of our heart settles in, and we end up doing things that are unimaginable and you know common common um you know illustrations of this people would say what dictators might do when there's mass genocide those sorts of things and paul here is not talking about complete depravity because of god's common grace um, we are not as bad depraved as we could be what paul is wanting to communicate is this idea of total depravity and total depravity means not that we're as bad as we could be, but that every aspect of our character and being is stained and tainted with sin. In other words, Paul's talking to us about the all-pervasiveness of our sin nature. Um, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, that sin is not simply making a mistake, falling short, not being perfect, doing better next time. Sin is a condition into which we are born and into which we live apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is trying to get, 
get, get it into our minds that there's not one area of our life that's not stained or tainted with sin. Our mind, our thoughts, our wills, our emotions, everything about us. Again, think of that illustration of pouring just a little bit of chocolate syrup into a white glass of milk. And that whole glass of milk will become brown, right? And that's the nature of what sin does into every area of our life. Um, now, why is this important for us to understand? Um, well, one, it's consistent with what the rest of Scripture says, okay? So Paul says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man does not under thing, understand the things of God. They are they're strange to him. He's blinded to them. Um, Paul also tells us in Ephesians 2 that we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus even talks about this when he says, I tell you, I tell you truly, unless a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus, does, Jesus doesn't just say you can't enter the kingdom without being born again. He says you can't even see it. You can't perceive it unless the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your heart and you see your true condition. And again, Paul is wanting us to see our true condition so that we see our true need for a savior. Now, what are some application points that we can take from this, from this idea that people are totally depraved? Number one, we just want to have a posture of humility personally, realizing that even if we're not aware of it, oftentimes our thoughts, hearts, actions are motivated um, by sin, things, maybe things we can't even detect, maybe, maybe ways that we've been shaped by the culture around us or by our families in unhealthy ways. And it just means that we want to have a posture of humility towards our own conclusions, towards our own um, convictions. We don't mean to waver on our convictions. What we do mean to say is that what the, what the Word of God is clear on, we want to be clear on, those things that the Word of God is less clear about or don't speak directly to, we adopt our and, 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 and interact with this posture of humility toward others, all right? Number two, it helps to direct our expectations, right? So much fear and anger and bitterness in relationships come because of unmet expectations. And what total depravity teaches us is that we shouldn't be surprised when people let us down. We shouldn't be surprised when accidents happen on the way to work or someone steals the number of our credit card and uses it or there's some sort of relational conflict at, at work or in the home. Total depravity teaches us that we are to expect these things by virtue of living in the fallen world and we need to adjust our expectations accordingly. Instead of always asking, why are things always going wrong? Praise God for those times when things do go right, okay? Because we live in a broken world. A third reason this, this doctrine is important is because it tells us about the limits that have to be placed on authority, okay? So if one person in singularity is totally depraved, then we know that a group of people who are totally depraved um, have have the potential to do much danger, okay? Um, and to become corrupt and to become self-oriented. And, and so as a guard to that, for example, the founders of our country did not want power to be vested in too much into any one institution 
or into any one person. That's why you have a system of checks and balances between the executive branch, the judicial branch, the legislative branch. It's why we have to ultimately say, even as elders in the church, our authority is a derived authority. It's an authority that's based upon the authority of the Word of God. The Word of God is absolute in its authority, not, not necessarily elders in their authority. And we can apply this to any relationship, husband and wives, boss and employee, but it does teach us that um, bad things happen when lots and lots of power is vested in a singular person or in, ju in just a couple of people. There is safety in plurality, and that traces all the way back to this doctrine of total depravity. It also teaches us about plurality in leadership and the need for accountability. All right, all of us um, are so prone to self-deception, um, give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, our inner lawyer kicks in, as Paul Tripp would say, and that's why no matter who we are, what our position is uh, on the work chart or in an organization or in the family, all of us need measurable, uh, realistic um, parameters for accountability because those are the things that, um, that protect us, protect the body of Christ. So, so going back to this text for a second. So Paul is wanting to show us the, the pervasiveness of sin and in return for us to adopt a posture of humility, set realistic expectations, place limits on authority, seek plurality and leadership, and to be held accountable uh, for what we do. There's many other, many other themes, many other um, launching off points from this idea of total depravity, but those are just a few. Now, as we continue this series this week, if you have questions okay, about anything we talk about or anything that's been happening in the sermons, you can email me at paul.gilbert at fouroakschurch.com. Otherwise, I'm going to pray for us, and let's jump into the week. Lord, thank you for this day that you've made. We want to rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, we want to tether ourselves to you and your word. And we pray that through your spirit, you would continually humble us and make us more into your image. You would help us to be realistic and, and humble before you. And Father, we ask that you do all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, everybody. Have a great week.